This afternoon, I'm chatting with Ben Drysdale, community arts worker, co-CEO of Rebus Theatre and musician. Thanks for joining me, Ben. Thanks for having me. Uh, really appreciate it. And we discussed having you in to discuss your diagnosis of ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, but we're also going to cover a whole lot of other ground too around Rebus and around your music and so forth. So where would you like to start? Where do we begin? At the very beginning. I guess the the diagnosis and the work with Rebus are unconsciously intertwined. I guess I've I started doing community arts projects in around 2007 with Robin Davidson, who is now my co-CEO at Rebus. And I I just got a sense of how important the arts is for mental health and the expression of people with mental health challenges. And I I, I knew I'd sort of always had a bit of a roller coaster of mental health, but I knew a lot of people who had clinical diagnosis as well. And it was that whole thing of like, oh, well, I'm not that depressed, so I don't have depression, or I'm not having panic attacks, so I mustn't have anxiety. So I sort of never really looked into it too far myself and just rode the roller coaster and put myself in places where I could support other people. Mm. <laughs> uh, who, As you do. Who had various things and probably got a lot out of, sharing those creative experiences with people as much, you know, as much as they were getting. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I kind of thought about the ADHD thing about 10 years ago when a colleague of mine was getting diagnosed while their son, who was 14, was getting diagnosed. And quite often when teenagers are getting diagnosed, they look at the parents too and go, well, you might want to consider this for yourself. And this is a person who I had always felt very, um, you know, we view ourselves as very similar people and experience the world in very similar ways. So I was kind of like, oh, maybe I do have that. At the time, I was was partaking in some things that I was trying to stop partaking in and was worried that maybe I was just trying trying to find a replacement for those. So I never followed up with it then. And then, yeah, over the last year or so really a few things happened there was you know some busy stressful times at work going on I'd had a child which brings a whole bunch of new stresses in and I I I hear a lot that having children will bring up the ADHD in people who may have flown under the radar especially in women so that's quite a common thing and it was kind of the perfect storm and all the while I'd been uh, I'd got myself on TikTok and was just like viewing a bunch of content. And well, if you watch one ADA rela- related video on TikTok, TikTok will show you more ADHD related videos. And I was kind of just looking at them going, hmm, this is sounding more and more like me. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, uh, another sort of probably one of the main final straws that <laughs> broke the camel's back that made me actually pursue a diagnosis was throughout some of that stressful time at work at the end of last year my colleague had been talking to their partner and ex-wife about how I was like reacting to things and how I was getting overwhelmed by things and they were just like oh he sounds like he's got ADHD like me because they both had recently had adult diagnosis so yeah I mean the, the 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 rebus work and the and the uh, ADHD 
history are all probably a little bit intertwined there. Mm. Um, Who did you go to to get a diagnosis and how did that all happen, really? Okay, well, that's a, yeah, it's... Because that's a, that's a tricky thing. I've, I've been told by a teacher friend who... Yeah, it's Some not years ago, she said, I think you're on the spectrum. And I'd had struggles myself in learning to read as a little kid. Yeah, right. And I had social challenges in that, you know, it's very awkward in social situations and very shy and, and a whole lot of stuff. But I'm some high-functioning, possibly Asperger's, but I have not formally been diagnosed. Yeah, Because right. I heard it's expensive, but is it? It Look, it, it is expensive. And so I actually did my diagnosis through the Autism Centre, um, Canberra Autism Centre, I think it's called, which also do ADHD diagnosis. Uh, so I did that. It cost me about $1,500. I went and had a two-and-a-half-hour session with someone there that went through a huge amount of questions, had to do a pre-survey with a huge amount of questions as well. What I didn't realise was that didn't directly tie me into a psychiatrist for so that that's all psych psychologists there so as someone pursuing medication for adhd i then had to pay extra to go to a psychiatrist to get medicated mm. the psychiatrist would normally do at least two sessions with you at about 800 dollars each wow. uh, because i had the previous assessment they only did one of those but mm. in a way i the way i did it ended up costing me probably $700 more than it would have if I just went straight to the psychiatrist. Mm. I had a bit of trouble finding a psychiatrist that had their books open for over 35s mm. in Canberra. I spent a few hours looking into it, but my GP had originally suggested that there, that it is really hard in Canberra and that there is a service in New South Wales, Sydney, called Mind Oasis that I ended up going through for that. So, yeah, I mean... If, if, if we're here to sort of talk about what the process is and what people should think about if they're thinking about it themselves. Yeah, it's um, important. It's hard to find there's, information. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say do some research, see if there is any people that will take you and your age bracket in Canberra with open books. That might have changed a bit now. The biggest thing for me was my going to my GP. At first they said, oh, you don't need a, refer a referral from me. I did need a referral mm -hmm. in order to go to the psychiatrist. So I had to sort of go back and get that. And then I went back to the psychiatrist. And then at the end of that appointment, they were like, oh, so you're going to need an ECG and a blood test. So if I'd have known all of that, like first appointment with the GP, make sure you get a referral, ask for an ECG and a blood test then so that you can get all that underway by the time you're actually uh, sitting down with, with the psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful information. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. So you got the diagnosis. Got the diagnosis. And did you, what was the feeling that you had when you got your diagnosis? Did it explain? For me at first, it was all just like relief and good vibes at first. I think a lot of people might experience shame or something from getting a diagnosis. For me, it was like, oh my God, this is like a huge relief, it, like helps me understand so much of my past struggles, which were all just this enigma to me or just, you know, maybe I just made me think that I was just a bad person or a useless person or flawed deeply in some way. 
and there's you know there's lots of elements to that in terms of the sort of the uh, various ways that people with ADHD struggle to perform normal functions, <laughs> normal inverted commas functions. Yeah. But there's a lot, uh, as I you know kept watching more content around it, I've learnt more about other things that are associated with it, like uh, reje- rejection sensitive dysphoria, which is something that I'd never heard of, but where people with ADHD and possibly on the on the autism spectrum as well can get this like deep sense of hurt and rejection from things that were not directed at them in any way or are a lighthearted joke that anybody would el- anybody else would take as a lighthearted joke. Like I've had people come up with the term bensitive before <laughs> because I'm oversensitive about things and I'm like in my head I can deeply see how what you have said or done to me is a deep attack on my soul and my mm-hmm. personality and my worth as a human being mm-hmm. but it's just not how it was meant or how it came across it's a really annoying superpower to have <laughs> so I think you know whereas originally it was all relief as I got further into just like thinking of myself in this way as someone who has this condition. With a label on, got a sign um, on your head. The label and the, you know, the associated elements of it that that are either positive or negative. The rejection-sensitive dysphoria was something that was really hard to learn about because it was like, oh, right, so it turns out that these deep feelings that I've had are not necessarily a reflection on wrongs done to me and they're part of this condition that I need to learn how to manage rather than expect the world to change its behaviour based on my feelings, <laughs> which I think is probably one of the biggest challenges and especially in a relationship. Like, you know, I have a wife, I'm trying to figure out how to raise a two-year-old. There's like <laughs> RSD is a big thing with <laughs> rejection <laughs> from your child who just wants mummy and just like, trying to wrap your head around you know being able to tell yourself like this child doesn't know that someone might feel that way when they (laughs) act in this way it's your job to teach them that you know not to just have the feelings yourself and so yeah there's a lot of difficult things is it a little boy or a little girl uh little boy until he tells us otherwise yeah yeah um so you know sometimes kids bond with one parent and then they bond with the other parent at a different time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think I deeply bonded with my dad and that's why I'm crazy about mowing things and (laughs) hammering things and stuff, you know. I didn't bond with mum for years and years and years. Yeah. I think that's that's the sort of – I had to look in the psychology books to understand this myself. Mm. But, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, what was it like? It was – a roller coaster still, but and you know I think getting onto medication was another thing that sort of just seemed f- fine and fantastic at first. I started on dexamphetamine, very small dose. It was helping me greatly, but as I got into like I made a piece of content like six weeks into it, and that was about how great everything was going. I had the six week check in with the psychiatrist that day. And then the next week I had the worst week I'd had in a really long time. And it was, you know, some combination of perhaps getting more accustomed to the medication. And I also found that that short-acting stuff 
especially as I went on and took it longer. I ended up continuing on that for about six months. But through my own roller coasters and, and conversations with other people, I was finding that it was, yeah, it was it was too much of a roller coaster of, of I guess I'll interject here to just say that some people respond to ADHD medication by just becoming completely calm and having their mind completely quieted. Mm. Uh, some people like me, it actually still has like a, a buzzing effect. You know, it mm. is an amphetamine, but it's it has that buzzy effect, but everything's a lot more focused and I'm able to function a lot better. And, and concentrate. And concentrated and, yeah. Mm. So I was finding that short acting stuff too much of a roller coaster because you'd sort of go up and then you'd start to crash and then you'd go up and, and then by the end of the day, having had that, having functioned at that high vibration for most of the day and then having it disappear at the end was just, yeah, it was, it was tough for me. So I've gone now onto Vivance, which is still, uh, it's, this, it's still dexamphetamine based, but it's a slow release mm. version of it. And I'm and finding you, that a lot better. And you're in the early days of sorting this out, really. Yeah, so. I'm at about seven months now. Mm. So yeah, I, I switched over the Christmas break and have yeah have been fa- have found it going really well. But you know, everybody's different. Everybody processes things in different ways, and different things work for different people. But that's where I'm at at the moment. Mm. You you said that some other people that you work with are also diagnosed with the ADHD. Mm. So how's the support been? Are you do you find that it's great to actually be chatting to p- other people who? who've uh, sort of already been along the journey and they're uh, the yeah well already. some of them actually get diagnosed after me as <laughs> as a result of you know some of the stuff I've been putting out and the conversations I've been having I've probably got about there's probably about 10 friends of mine who have sought diagnosis since I started putting up Facebook posts and TikToks about it and uh, that, that that's but yeah I mean it's there's also a bunch of other people that I've known that have had it for a while and it's great to be able to sort of reframe your existence, your, your experience of your existence with people who've gone through that process. And I think uh, I'm noticing that a lot of artists are ADHD, well, yeah. whether they know it yet or not. There's a lot of neurodivergence amongst musicians too. Yeah, musicians, yeah. theatre folk. Uh, I guess you know. Well, and it runs in families too. Yeah, it's, it's all through definitely. my family. The genetic markers are uh, extreme. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I wanted to ask you about you know you've you've been a, a, a songwriter for quite a long time, but you you wrote a song specifically right at the very beginning, didn't you, when you were diagnosed? No. Well, what what? Oh, so, I got that wrong. So, yeah, I, exp- I didn't explain it very well. I wrote this song in 2015. Right. Uh, I was having a real difficult time and uh, I wrote it around Are You OK Day and I sort of put it on my music page for Are You OK Day. What I was saying about the song was that um, it hits really different now that I know that I'm ADHD. Like now I understand so much more about why these feelings that I were having in the song that why I was having them. So I don't know. Should we just should we go straight into it? And yeah, yeah, play it. Yeah. And I get. I guess it's it's called All I Am, and I think that uh, yeah, it was a, a a a time when I was just feeling like okay, well, I'm you know I'm anxious and I'm depressed and it's it's all I'll ever be. And you can only sort of 
have me in your life if you can handle that. <laughs> so here it goes. I'm all loose and lost and lazy I can't keep me satisfied Cooped up by crippling thoughts driving me crazy Shaking in my boots beneath the sunburnt sky Any meaning might be taken by the tide I'm all fucked up, fried and frayed I'm all pent up with pickled pride All the pieces, pain and poetry that made me Shaking at the knees to take them all in stride Any meaning might just cut and run and hide Cause this is all I am all I'll ever be is the best that I can do Cause this is all I got It's all you'll ever see Is this all enough for you? Is this all enough for you? Cause it's all that's left of me Quite sure what to make of me. I'm all tired and torn and high, but I'll never give them what they're trying to take from me. I'm shaking with the strain and trying to hold on tight. Any minute, disappear into the night. Cause this is all I. This is all I got It's all you'll ever see Is this all enough for you? Is this all enough for you? Is this all enough for you? Cause it's all that's left of me That was great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So back in 2015. Yeah. And what's the difference now when you play that? What's the what's the feeling now? Uh, I guess it's just that I now have a reframing of why I've often just felt loose and lost and lazy because uh, I'm just not functioning like these other people that are all around me seem to be able to function. This, you know, I'll never give them what they're trying to take from me. Like, there's some rejection sensitive dysphoria <laughs> in there. Like, you could, you could, like, I would love to sit down with a, with a psychiatrist and pick apart that song. <laughs> but, you know, it's actually, this is what's great about your music is that you're actually able to put those emotions outside of yourself. Yeah. It's not, you, you're able to articulate it and, 
stop the rumination. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it stops the rumination, but it's definitely a useful tool in dealing with it. A useful tool in dealing with the rumination. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the symptoms of ADHD or what sort of symptoms have you experienced? Because I'm, I'm, I was reading about it and perhaps not everybody has the same symptoms that affects people differently, particularly in adults. So there used to be a difference between ADD and ADHD and now what they've done is it's all ADHD but it's uh, like one and two and I can't remember which is which but one is about attention deficit and the other is about hyper- hyperactivity even though there's a bit of all of it in both of them mm-hmm. um i was diagnosed with what they call combined meaning both there's loads of different symptoms and i couldn't tell tell you all of them but having difficulty focusing on any task that doesn't deeply interest you is and I, you know to some extent everybody has that but it's like it can be crippling <laughs> and prohibitive rather than a lot of people who can just do it. You know, I Don't struggle to try and get the concentration happening. I mean, even if, even if they struggle a bit, there's a difference between, oh, this is a bit hard for me and, oh, my God, this feels like I have to climb a mountain. Yeah. How or do I do this the right way? Or this is torture, which I think is kind of what it feels like a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I would... You know, all throughout high school and even university, I would put off all my assignments till the last minute and oh, then procrastination. be in a mad rush. Procrastination is, is a definite symptom of ADHD. There was one weekend where I had to try and do six assignments and one of them was for uh, on a book that I hadn't even read. <laughs> I'm not, I shouldn't be laughing. And like... <laughs> I mean, it's funny. <laughs> like, you can laugh. It's uh, ridiculous. And, you know, I mean, anybody who knows me and has seen me at at doing work, like, I don't have a bad work ethic. Like, when I'm into something, I can smash it and I will work hard. Uh, I, I spent 10 years or eight years or so running a an arts-based business, putting on music nights and theater shows and i worked my ass off the whole time Mm -hmm. but yeah it's like assignments or you know in the arts to be a professional in the arts you have to do a lot of like um, really boring mind work like things that take a lot of concentration and a lot of thinking are really hard Uh, grant applications grant acquittals you know reporting all of that sort of stuff (laughs) That stuff's really hard. Um, That's not the fun stuff. No, it's not the fun stuff. But getting the money is good. Yeah, getting the money is great. If if but then you know the rejection sensitive dysphoria kicks in every time you don't get the grant ac- application and you question your entire existence and want to pack it all in and give up completely. Um, <laughs> I I often say that like I think artists are some of the most resilient people, whether they have ADHD or anxiety or not, uh, just because they're, you know, unlike someone who goes to a day job every day, they have to constantly put themselves out to be judged by the people who will determine if they have their money or not and, and face rejection on a daily basis and, you know, even more so for anybody who's, <laughs> who's got RSD in their 
<laughs> carry bag. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, it's interesting what you're saying there because I was just, I've started back in my course and I was, last week I was just going, oh, do I really, really, really want to do this? And I've had that kind of lack of feeling confident about my singing and I'm struggling to get a routine down for practicing. Mm. I'd rather sit at the piano mm. and just play without the stress. I mean, when I was studying piano, it was hard. Four hours a day was expected. Mm. Travelling an, almost an hour to and from school, to school and then back. So it was two hours out of the day. And then having to get that you know that focus to practice actually it was my teacher who hit me on the fingers with the ruler, the ruler yeah and she said you haven't been practicing your scales so mm. yeah see i did started piano uh, when i was five and yeah, i couldn't do the theory stuff like i i am struggling with the theory i i just it's like it made me hate music um and so i just stopped doing it and i kept Filling around, and I I took up guitar, started doing guitar lessons like towards the end of primary school, and that I could get into because the teachers could they could sort of accidentally teach you some theory while well you are you're playing chords yeah you're playing chords um, so you're actually you know you're going up to sevenths and ninths and doing yeah and, and for a long it's not like piano player going. But yeah, a lot of the time I don't know I'm doing a seventh or a ninth. I'm just like, oh, if I stick my finger there, it makes a slightly different chord. But you can cool. hear it. Yeah, it's uh, your very musicality is in there. Yeah, ear. I've learned a lot. I've learned theory more by playing with other people mm. and being like, oh, what was that chord? Oh, you know, or how do I make this more bluesy or mm. that sort of thing? And and learning along the way that way. See, and I think that comes with the territory too, doesn't it? ADD and ADHD, learning challenges are there. Some stuff, it just sort of like bounces. I cannot stand the didactic, somebody just talking at me. Mm, mm. It's not going in. Mm. I need to be able to ask questions. I need to be shown yeah. what what it is. And I think that's a, a big problem with a lot of the education and training system across the board, whether for people with ADHD or just anybody else, because it's just, it's not a way that people absorb the most information. Mm. Like um, things that can make you think and, and feel like with Rebus, our, our whole, we began doing workplace training, theater-based workplace training that was interactive uh, so that people could, feel the problems in the world and see them and feel the effects of them and get up and try and change them, practice changing them. And, you know, every bit of feedback we've ever got from from that has been about how much better it was than a sort of talking head mode of teaching mm -hmm. or training. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I think it applies to everything. Like with my guitar teachers, they were like, I had music that I was interested in. They were like, cool, well, let's teach you how to play this song and I will teach you some theory about what you're doing while you're doing it rather than going, here's the theory that you can then apply to something that interests you. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's really resonating with me, truly. I'm up to my eyeballs and terrified of the theory stuff and I'm back trying to learn key signatures, which I used to 
No, but it's like I've forgotten them or, or something. They're just, you know, and I've had a lot of trauma in my life. So there's, and because I'm scared, mm. the fear is kicking in. I'm going, I can't, I can't mm. get this. So they have, I've been doing the, I got, oh, got a great teacher on Monday when we started and he said, oh yeah, I want you on Aurelia and musician going through the exercises. And so you go through and I'm going, oh yeah, what's the relative minor to this mm, major mm. key? And then it just repeats it and repeats it until it starts to I mainly only in. know that about the key of C and G. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh. C, Which is, it's handy. C major is A minor. Yeah. <laughs> and G major is E minor. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's handy for me because those are very good keys for my vocal range. Oh, well, um, that's <laughs> Well, then that's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so tell me a little bit about Rebus Theatre. Um, well, yeah, as I said, we began, we've just had our, we've just had our 10th anniversary. We began in 2013 as a group of... 10 people, both with and without disability, uh, creating two different interactive workplace training uh, offerings uh, using what's called the Forum Theatre, which was yeah. developed by Augusto Boal in in Brazil in the, I think it was the 60s or something. It's part of a m- body of work called the Theatre of the Oppressed, and the purpose of it was to... Uh, allow the um, the people who were being oppressed by the government of the time to look at ways that they could change their own worlds rather than because you know they knew that the government wasn't going to and so with this model a we create a short play we've had them be anywhere from three to 15 minutes based on the lived experience of people who you're trying to address, address the issues around. So in that case, it was people with disability and mental health challenges. You play that beginning to end once, and then you repeat the performance. And the second time, when the audience sees something happen that they think could have been done differently, they can raise their hand, yell stop, come up and replace one of the actors and try to improvise a better outcome. So, yeah, I should say the the first, the play that we play at the beginning, it's called the anti-model, as in not what we want. <laughs> um, so that's where all the issues that have been brought up are presented and wrapped up into a storyline. And, yeah, so uh, we began doing that. We branched off into just uh, doing, uh, we've, over the following years after that, we uh, got some arts ACT grants. To, we had a big disability arts festival at Tugmanong Arts Centre. We had about, I think we had 60 performers, 40 of whom were people with disability. Uh, and that was around, I think we had about 12, 13 different acts. Mm-hmm. So that was amazing. We, we, did, we did a creative development around the, what it's like to live with trauma where we interviewed five people with lived experience of trauma and three practitioners in that field and we took those interviews and showed them to a creative team that involved a an actor, a dancer, a musician, and like a v- audio, a visual artist, like using technology. I can't remember, can't remember what they call themselves. And we're just like, okay, there's that interview. Go create something. And uh, so it became this sort of like series of vignettes of 
responses to what what those people experienced. Uh, and yeah, I mean that's sort of the early development. Then then the thing that sort of took us from being a bunch of people kind of just volunteering into uh, an, an organisation that could pay some wages was we got a couple of big NDIA grants to create more uh, forum theatre-based workplace training around uh, health services in the ACT, justice services in the ACT. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were supposed to do one for transport, but COVID hit and uh, we sort of had to completely repurpose that one. And now we do we do all sorts of things now. We, we, yeah, you've got heaps of programs going uh, Yeah. Um, More funding. Big big things that are, are happening at the moment are we're, we're about to wrap up a two-year project working with 15 different artists from five local government areas that were affected by the Black Summer bushfires, facilitating them to run community arts projects in their communities, one of which is the ACT. And so we've got a, a final exhibition for that. It's coming up on the 23rd of February at The Hive in Queanbeyan. Mm. Helen, who runs The Hive, was one of our artists and has uh, since taken over the role of project manager for that project when uh, the previous person had to leave. So that's going to be an exhibition that involves artworks that were created throughout these projects or photos or costume items or things that were from some of the more performative elements. So that's going to be, yeah, 6pm on the 23rd of February at the Hive, and then in March and April we've got some film screenings uh, for Reemergence, which was a two-year project working with d- disabled artists in regional New South Wales, in uh, Queanbeyan, Goulburn, and Bega, about their experiences of fire, drought, and pandemic to mm-hmm. create a film, a feature-length length film. Uh, so we've got screenings in. Queanbeyan, Goulburn and Bega um, <laughs> for those. I think the Queanbeyan one's the 6th of April. But yeah, if you're interested in any of that, hit up the Rebus website or Facebook page. We'll, we're always spruiking it there. Mm. Just tell me, just in your own words, what do you think the benefits of participation for people with disabilities and mental health in these sorts of arts projects uh, are? I mean, for me, the two... The two phrases that the kind of buzz phrases that I, I use in fundraising and grant applications, but I think they're deeply true, uh, is that uh, the arts creates a different kind of social connection that than you get in, say, sports or something like that. In that, often what you're creating, especially in the spaces that we work in, in community arts and cultural development, what you're creating is based on often deep in pers- personal stories so so social connection happens there but uh, yeah I mean just creative expression like you know like you said me having all of those feelings and being able to turn them into a song helps me deal with them helps me process process them helps me identify them and everybody that we've that we've worked with with Rebus definitely benefits from that but I guess the third one is also self-advocacy a lot of what we do whether it's workplace training or whether raising it's, awareness or whether it's creating an original play that the cast has decided what the play is going to be about based on what issues are important to them it's it's raising awareness around the mm. the things that affect affect them and yeah getting hopefully creating a better world where people are less marginalized yeah because, yes, that's something, I mean, I've written in 
some of the work that I've done around the radio show because people who come on here and participate have generally got a lived experience and it gives you, you know, the medicalised model of diagnosis <laughs> in some ways slaps a label on you and it can have negative mm. outcome where you it diminishes your identity. Mm, so mm. the fact that you can be something more like a radio presenter and producer, ha, 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 mm, or uh, an artist, a poet, a musician, mm. an actor. When I was, I was studying theatre in, in Canada, I went on exchange for a couple of years over there and my teachers asked our class one day, they said, do you call yourselves artists or students? And it just totally reframed our kind of like, you know, in our minds, we couldn't call ourselves artists till we'd, till we'd graduated and earned X amount of dollars from our art. But by, by doing it, you are it. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think that's, and that's, that's, that brings a sense of achievement to people who may have previously had the world telling them that they're nothing but their diagnosis or their condition or something yeah. like that, that that is the, inter- the entire defining factor of what and who they are. Where it's, yeah, it's it's kind of a very different experience than what I've had where I'm like, oh, awesome, this diagnosis has just helped me understand all the <laughs> things I hated about who I am and what I am. <laughs> and just gives me, yeah, well, most of the time, like I said, there has been there has been some challenges, but... Yeah, I'm trying to accept that I'm a musician. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard to accept. I, I said this to you at, at Peter's uh, yeah. Twyer's thing, you know. You actually asked me the question, which was so great because nobody does. People just assume because you're getting up and having a sing someplace that you perceive yourself to be this thing. And I'm so confused about what I am yeah. that, that I haven't fully accepted it. I think for me, the composing, when I'm, I've written some stuff and then I, I feel some deeper connection to that because it's something I've given birth to mm, mm. and it falls under that banner of creation, creation, music yes. creation. <laughs> so I'm a music creator perhaps in, in, its, in my infancy of being a music creator. They just creator. call that composing, yeah. Yeah, they're just writing. Normal, normal people <laughs> just call it that. But, you know, I've got, I'm on this whole sort of questioning myself around it because I don't want to be a fake. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so many fabulous musicians and composers and artists. I don't want to be, say I'm one of them if, if I'm still... As you say, but not fully qualified. But who determines whether you're a fake or not? Ultimately, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So, like, it's not up to you to figure it out. You just gotta, you just gotta make it and see what happens. Well, I, I suppose, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, have somebody appreciate what you do, and that's, yeah. I think, that's what's so very important about having connections within the arts scene. Because those are the people, they, they end up being your people who mm. really appreciate that this is coming from inside of you mm. and it speaks to who you are at a deep level, mm. which can be scary to sort of let that out in mm. public, especially if you've been through any bad stuff. 
Mm. Yeah. Do you have another song for me? Yeah, I do. It's a, it's a song that Two Double X listeners may have heard a little bit lately. Uh, it was track of the week at the end of last year uh, when I, I released it in December. And I guess in the context of everything that we're talking about here and, you know, the notion of artists needing to be resilient uh, and <laughs> anybody <It's> with <laughs> mental health challenges or disability or any marginalisation <laughs> needing to be resilient and facing, you know, facing the blockages that there are in the world and having to kind of just make the decision to brush yourself off and go back out there and I guess the structure of the verses are they're a little will I won't I it's you know the song is about that kind of like do I think I'm (laughs) do I think I'm worthy to go out there and do it and what you know what are the implications if I do do this then or if I don't do this then maybe I'll be safer or if I don't do this then I'll never get what I want but um yeah, so I'll play it. Uh, I'll just play it instead of explaining it to you because you're all intelligent people who can figure it out for yourself. <laughs> this one's a bit louder, so you might need to... Um, oh, yeah. Do you, do you want to pause and do a, a sound check on... No. No? Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, if I don't lie down, then I won't fall asleep. If I don't dive in, I won't ever sink too deep. If I hold it in, it won't go running down my cheek If I don't lie down, I'll be fine If I don't lie down, I'll be alright Cause everything and nothing has changed And I'm too damn old to let it stay the same If I don't lie down, I'll be alright If I don't ask why, I won't ever seem too bold If I'm in the crowd, I'll never learn to break the mold If I don't lie down, I'll be fine If I don't lie down, I'll be alright Cause everything and nothing has changed And I'm too damn old to let it stay the same
marvellous. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Is there anything you want to add? Where can people get that song? Uh, you can get that song if you'd like to pay for it. You can get it on Bandcamp, Yep. Ben Drysdale Music. Uh, if you would like to stream it, you can get it on Spotify, anywhere, pretty much. It's just If I Don't Lie Down, Ben Drysdale. If you want to hear it live on a big festival stage, you should come to Cabalgo Folk Festival from the 1st to the 3rd of March because I'll be playing it there with uh, Niall Howe, who uh, was my keyboard player in East Row Rebel, and I've been doing some duo gigs with him with the, with the indie folk stuff. Yeah, they're the main ones. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for talking to me today. I no really, worries. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'd be interested to hear how the ADHD recovery journey goes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's been really great to just sit down and have a long con- conversation that unpacks it all in the process a little bit. Hopefully it helps some other people. Um, I, I think so. Actually, my brother was diagnosed with ADHD last year mm-hmm. and... Uh, and my grandchildren and my daughter was diagnosed when she was 12. So mm. it is a thing. It's a thing. It's always mm. been a thing. It, it's just hard to get into the system to yeah. get the support. And it's expensive. There is a bit of there is a review going on at the moment, I, I believe, about how problematic that is. Well, it's problematic because people need the help and to yeah. feel like that they're not some sort of yeah, and you know that they're capable that they can have a, a meaningful life and contribute and feel good about themselves. Whether you want to go on medication or not is irrelevant. Like I like pe- I feel like people go, oh well, I don't want to go on medication, so I'm not going to seek a diagnosis. Whereas I think that there are a lot of benefits to just getting the diagnosis. So you, it takes away the question mark a little bit for you and gives you a framework with which you can kind of move forward even if that is through just counseling psychologists med- meditation what well, you know whatever you want to do i mean playing. I'm, ultimately i think i think uh, a lot of people whether they're on medication or not benefit from all of that stuff so yeah again that can be cost prohibitive too like especially when <laughs> Especially when a lot of the time the people with ADHD have maybe not climbed up the corporate ladder as as high as other people have, um, <laughs> unless they were just super passionate about the one thing that they were selling. But yeah, no, I think I think it can be useful either way. Mm. Well, thanks very much, Ben. No worries. Oh, thanks a lot. It's been really great. I uh, really appreciate you coming in and talking about your own personal experience, but also playing your music. And uh, as you said, people can find you, Ben Drysdale, on Bandcamp or they can... Yeah, and if you just want to stay tuned, uh, just Ben Drysdale Music on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever your poison of choice is. And get along to the Rebus Theatre events that are coming up and support those too and Cabargo. Mm, And Cabargo, that's going to be fun. The Cabargo Mm. thing. Okay, thank Thank you. you.